0: Um, There are notes on the back table, and that's where they're going to be from now on, is on the back table. So I'm not going to be at all conspicuous if you get up and grab some of those notes. If you haven't done so already, they're on the back table. There should be a few back there. Um, If you have a cell phone, you're more than welcome to scan that QR code to get them on your phone uh, in a PDF format. And... uh, Either way, uh, they are available. So turn with me to Revelation 17. Now, I wanted to do all of Revelation 17 at the beginning of the week. That was the plan, and as I started just going through it, I realized there's no way I'm going to go over all this content in a half hour that I have, and I don't even have a full half hour uh, this morning. So we're going to look at verses 1 through 6, and we're looking at how the Lamb conquers Babylon. This is the judgment of Babylon, um, and we'll discuss in the sermon who this Babylon uh, figure is and, and what she represents, okay? So let's start uh, with an overview, because we haven't been in Revelation for a while. So Jesus uh, says to John, write therefore the things that you have seen, those that all and the things that are to take place after this. This is John's instructions for writing the book of Revelation. So, Jesus's outline of Revelation is what was seen, Jesus glorified, Revelation 9 uh, 1 9 through 20. What is the seven churches of Asia, Revelation 2 through 3. And then what will take place, or what will be, which is Jesus' judgments in the seven seals, seven trumpets, and bowls. And then those the visions that reflect on those different uh, judgments. So today we're looking at chapter 17, the beginning of it, but 17 and 18 are two visions which expound on the fall of Babylon in the bowl judgments. And even, I think, in those... Uh, uh, 14.8 is a trumpet judgment. Then one of the other seven angels... No, oh, oh, I'll read it in a second. So let's look in chapter 17, verse 1. One of the seven angels who had the seven bulls came and said to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters. Okay? And with, with whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality, and with the wine of whose sexual immorality the dwellers on earth have become drunk. And he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names, and it had seven heads and ten horns. Okay. Now another angel, a second following, saying. This is 14.8. Another angel, a second following, saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great, she who made all the nations drink the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. So how should we view the great prostitute in Revelation? And and there is a lot of debate about this. In fact, there will continue to be debate because there's different options and they all have valid points of interpretation. Um, I'm not going to go to every nuance of those things today. I don't have time, but I'm going to expose you to four views, so, those four options, the four views uh, that we can take. The first is that it is a cryptic reference to Rome used by the early church to keep so- truths from persecutors. And this is an example of this is in 1 Peter 5.13. Uh, he's talking to a woman about a woman in Rome, and he says, she who is at what? Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son, because he's writing, and it's pretty well founded that he's not writing from Babylon, but he's writing from Rome, and so he's using Babylon as a code word crypt. So who likes codes? You know, you ever remember, like, as a, as a kid, uh, you would got the cereal box, and you had to, like, get the code for the cereal box? Anybody ever do that? Yeah, I, I did that once in a while, and then I got tired of it, because I'm not good at codes, but anyways, they had they spoke, they have a speaking in cryptic language uh, to, to cover uh, themselves, so this is the first <coughs> option, excuse me, <coughs> that cracker, <laughs> Christ's body is getting to me here, I guess, uh, second is she, she is the city of Jerusalem as an apostate uh, set against God, and um, I think this is probably the least uh, verif- uh, verifiable view, but but some people do hold this view um, because uh, Jerusalem is uh, described uh, at least two places in the Old Testament as a prostitute, as a whore, because she's leaving God and she's God's wife. Uh, Hosea would be a very popular book for that, an uh, Old Testament book that does that. But most of the time when dealing with uh, Jerusalem and Babylon, they're in, o- they're in opposition to each other. Does that make sense? Um, Jerusalem, and especially in Revelation, Jerusalem is where God is fighting from and, and, and fighting the forces of evil. And we can see very clearly as we go through this that G- Revelation is actually com- uh, contrasting Israel, Jerusalem, with this city, Babylon. And, and so I just don't think uh, that it's an option. It has some criteria, but it's not strong enough Given the the context, thought she's a metaphor for the system set against God. This includes all major cities throughout time. Okay, so it's this idea of every religion falls that's not Yahweh, right? That falls onto Babylon. And if we think of Babel, the Tower of Babel, because this is. That's the Hebrew word for Babylon, by the way, Babel. And, and what do we remember from the Tower of Babel, from our Bible stories as children? Right? Let's get together. Let's build a tower to reach the gods. Let's do it our way. Let's not do it whose way? God's way. So it's this idea of from the very beginning, right? Babel or Babylon led the apostate meaning against God, to, to leave God from the very beginning, right? And so we know certain cities are more apt to that than others, isn't there, right? And certain nations are more apt to that than others. But it really includes all evil in all nations that, and religions that lead us away from God. So uh, that would be the third one. And then the fourth is that she is a revived Babylon on the banks of the Euphrates rivers, once again leading the world in an apostate Religion now, this is a very this is a possibility, but challenging because you re- Babylon. You can go and watch uh, on Google and look at Babylon. If you do a search, uh, tell of Babel or tell of Babylon, and you can see that that city has buildings around it, but nothing in it. It's been desolated and deserted since the 6th century A.D., okay? So there's been nothing going on there for quite a while. So many people read that as God's fulfillment of the judgment of Babylon. And if you want to read about the judgment of Babylon and the results of that, you can read it in Isaiah 13 or Jeremiah 50, right? And it's sitting desolate, and jackals and owls and, and wild animals live there, and it's a desert. And it looks like that now. So many people say, well, that, it can't be a revived one or it can't be Babylon because it's that prophecy has been fulfilled. But if you say, well, no, that prophecy hasn't been totally fulfilled or it's partially fulfilled, then this is a possibility. So there's a lot of possibility, and they all have validity, um, and um, but they all have trouble. Does that make sense? So the pre lens, which just sees that most of Revelation, except for the second coming of Christ, has been fulfilled. The Preterist lens favors uh, the great prostitute as a cryptic reference to Rome or to Jerusalem, okay? So, our, so that's, that's the Preterist lens. They see it as those two options. Um, and I've already talked a little bit about the weaknesses, right, of the Jerusalem uh, line of thought and argument. But if you're wearing the president pre, uh, preterist lens and you're viewing uh, Revelation as a judgment on Israel, right, um, on apostate Israel or apostate Jerusalem, then it fits well. And you can uh, then not give as much weight to the other things, the contrasting that uh, John is doing in Revelation. And, and it's definitely, I think, there's a lot of credence to the cryptic reference to Babylon, right? And so, um, then they go into this, and we'll get into this next week, but the what emperors of Rome line up to the uh, seven heads, which are kings and hills and, and all that. So the predecessor's lens favors a cryptic reference to Rome or to Jerusalem. The idealist lens uh, favors for being the metaphor for the world and the system set against God, right? And so there's this idealist idea that uh that it represents everything it's going but they and they do actually believe uh it's not just all this but it's going to consummate at the second coming with a certain entity of cities right but it's going to be in the spirit of babylon it's not going to be actual historical babylon rebuilt okay um and so they would say even now that the evil that we see around us is included, right, in this metaphor, right? And that God is going to conquer it, right? The lamb conquers Babylon, right? And I think that's true, right? Um, is that totally a tent of John the author? Um, that's obviously debatable. That's why there's so many ideas out there. The futurist lens is going to favor a revived Babylon, meaning that the Babylon, those prophecies and scriptures like Isaiah 13, uh, Jeremiah 50, are not yet fulfilled. Um, Babylon is going to be rebuilt, and it is going to then be destroyed by God. So He's going to, God's going to allow for it, re- Babylon to be revived, and then God's going to wipe Babylon out. So, so that's a futurist view. Um, the futures also go with the cryptic reference to. Rome, but it's a revived Rome, and, and, and really they come from that revived Rome from Daniel chapter 2, if you want to go read that, and uh, Daniel chapter 7, uh, those are the contexts that bring into Revelation, that actually Revelation chapter 17 is drawing from. So you have this idea of revived Babylon or revived Rome, um, and, and the Rome that's revived is, is not coherent, right? And we'll see that in these texts next week. But not this week. So the Old Testament language for this passage uh, in Revelation 17 comes from Isaiah 21, the whole chapter really. But one, verse one, I want us to, to just read today: the oracle concerning the wilderness of the sea. Now, that's a, an acronym, a weird thing. What wilderness has a sea? Right? I mean, water and desert typically don't go together. But here, the the prophet Isaiah has combined the 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 ideas of desert and sea, the wilderness of the sea, as Orans and the Negev sweep on, it comes from the wilderness, from the terrible land. And this whole chapter is a judgment on, guess what city? Babylon. John is taken in the spirit to the desert, okay? So he's in the desert, and, and Bill writes, though the desert can be a place of protection for God's people, uh, before and after the exodus and in the end of time, remember in chapter 12, the, the, the woman Israel flees where? To the desert, right? Um, um, and some people say Petra, but it doesn't actually say that in the text. It's also a habitation, though, of fierce animals like serpents and evil spirits. And in the place, it is a place of sin. Jesus is tempted where? In the desert. Um, so it's a place of sin. It's a place of judgment, okay? Uh, and persecution of the saints, right? The, um, the dragon tries to swallow up the saints. Where? In the desert. With what? Water coming out of his, his mouth, right? So I think here we can say John is taken to a place of Babylon's judgment, okay? So that's why he's going to the de- desert. is because it's the judgment of Babylon. Uh, John, or the great prostitute. John's only other use of desert is in Revelation chapter 12, where the red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns, which ties back into this passage, by the way, because how many heads does the beast have? Seven. And how many horns does he have? Ten, right? Uh, seven heads and ten. Pursues the woman, Israel, who is the opposite of the prostitute. Okay, so here we see this first uh, contradiction. Uh, uh, <sighs> Confliction. No, that's not the one. What? counterfeit yeah she is a counterfeit contrast there we go the first contrast um of of these two entities so is or is everything good right and 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 wholesome in this sense and in revelation the church is is joined in with that and while the prostitute is everything what bad right so they're in contrast they're in uh conflict really right the Old Testament imagery also comes from Daniel two forty one through forty four and Daniel seven three through seven twenty through twenty four. These are all things that we're going to take a look at next week in the interpretive section of the passage. We're only looking at verses one through six, which is the presentation or the the vision, and we're going to unpack the interpretation next week. I don't have time to do so today. In fact, I'm. Running out of time at the moment. So she is depicted as a prostitute because she leads the world away from God with her apostate religions. Okay? She causes the world to commit idolatry. So, idolatry is unfaithfulness. It's a term used when two people are married and one cheats on the other. Okay? So, she causes the world to commit idolatry through idolatry. Idolatry is the act of worshiping another God rather than God who deserves all worship, love, and care. So the whole world is to be, it was made to be faithful to Yahweh. That's, that's what it was supposed to do. That's what God created the world to be. And as we know, it is not, right? Uh, we are a minority, right, in the world and becoming more so by the day full, or the beast actually, that's a mistype. The beast here is full of blasphemous names, communicating uh, that she and the beast all contains, all that is what? Opposed to God. They're just totally against God, even in their very nature. Name carries nature. okay, And she is opposed to that. As we see this evil and the evil around us, we need to remember the lamb what? He conquers. He's, he paid it all, right? On the cross. It's all paid. He's conquered. He's put to, uh, to uh, flight all of the evil forces. And what we are waiting for is the... Compens- com- com- Man, I am so troubled with words this morning. Consummation of that victory which comes at his second coming. Right? So as you're walking in the brokenness of the world in your life, the evil that touches us all, whether it's through our health, whether it's through our relationships, right, wherever, it, wherever it's coming from, whether it's from the news, right, remember, remember that God is walking in that process. And I don't know why, but he chose to do it through broken means. I mean, the cross is one of the most horrific events of history, in my opinion. We crucified God, right? And yet, that is the doorway to everlasting life with Him, right? Something broken, He takes and He makes walk for good, right? And so whatever brokenness you have in your life, your own sin, your own sin, Think about that. My own stupidity, he's using for what? For my eternal good and his glory. Wow. And so when I am walking through life and I'm wanting to kick myself in the head, or I'm even being rebellious and saying I want to do what I want to do it, and I want to do it now, I need to stop and remember That God is in charge and that God is what? Walking. He conquers. He's not tail tied, right? He doesn't have one arm behind his back. The consummation is coming. Let's turn to uh, verse 4. It says, The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, holding in her hand a cup full of abominations and the impurities of her sexual immorality. And so this sexual immorality, again, is referring to this idea of idolatry, the idea of going after other gods besides God. And you know what? Pornography, pornography. Uh, 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 Sexual orientation, all that is making something else God rather than God, okay? And so this is a big umbrella. It could also be pursuing my own comfort, pursuing my own economic success over my relationship with God. Five, and on her forehead was written the name of mystery, Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes and of earth's abominations. So she has a name written on her head. It's her nature. It's her her being, speaking of her alliance. And then it says, I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. When I saw her, I marveled greatly. Now we're going to deal with the phrase, I marveled greatly. um, When I saw her, I marveled greatly next week because it's actually part of the the interpretative uh, section of the passage. But um, so just stick a pin in that if you have questions. The Old Testament background comes from Jeremiah 51, 6-7 through 7 for this idea of being drunk on the wine. And Hosea 4, 10-12 says, Flee from the midst of Babylon. Let everyone save his life. Be ye not conformed to the world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. We must come out of the world. And how do we come out of the world? We come out of the world by stepping into the reality that Christ bought for us on the cross. Confessing our sins. Confessing him as Lord and believing in all that God raised him from the dead. Be not cut off in her punishment, for this is the time of the Lord's vengeance. The repayment he is rendering her. Babylon was a golden cup in the Lord's hand, making all the earth drunken. The nations drank of Hawaii, and therefore the nations went mad. Right? And we know how uh, apt the, uh, the illustration of drunkenness is, right? When you're drunk, you lose all facilities and faculties that are of any good to you, right? Right? And you're kind of like nuts, right? Can't be reasoned with. Right? Hosea 4.10 says, They shall eat but not be satisfied. That they shall play the whore but not multiply. Because they have forsaken the Lord to cherish whoredom, wine, new wine, which was taken away the understanding. My people inquire of a piece of wood, and their walking staff gives them oracles, for a spirit of whoredom has led them astray, and they have left their God to play the whole, right? And so when we go after other things and we look for other things to be fulfilling us rather than God, we play the whore because God is what is sufficient, right? And those things we choose and we pursue, they only satisfy for a moment, right? And that actually creates a cycle for us, right? because we get that little hit of satisfaction, and that keeps us coming back. But it doesn't last. And I would encourage you to find a place of breaking that cycle and going to the Lord where true satisfaction takes place. So here, purple and red attire portray the clothing of royalty. She's in charge, she is a leader. She has royalty. Concerning the color red, Beale writes, We have seen the red color of the dragon and the beast in Revelation 12, 3. And Revelation 17, 3, showing their persecuting nature. Because who are they persecuting? The persecuting the church, the, the saints of God, people who believe in the Lord. With her attire, she stands in contrast to the Lamb's bride. Portrayed as a city, adored with precious stone, pearls, and gold, which is Revelation 21, basically, and clothed in bright purple linen, which respectively represents the glorious reflection of God's presence and the righteous deeds of the saints. So she's in contract, she's in conflict, right? To who? The bride of Christ. She's adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, which speaks to her economic prosperity. You don't wear gold and jewels and pearls if you don't have any wealth, right? And I think in our culture today, economic prosperity is probably what is used most to attract us to her, to drink of her abominations. Sometimes we do whatever we can to get ahead, don't we? And that is not right. In the first century, you could not have economic success without worshiping the gods of your city and your country. Bill writes, customarily, each trade guild had, a patron, had patron gods to which the members had to pay homage as well to the Roman emperor. So if you wanted to be a successful businessman in your community, you needed to offer sacrifices to gods, right, and to the emperor, which was a god. So you have a meshing of religion and state. Now, in America, we somewhat don't have that, right? But we really actually do because religion can be defined as any system of belief, right? And so our state... America is not a separation of religion and state, but it really is a binding of naturalism, religion, and state. Okay, and so that is the reality. Now, there is other religions like Christianity and Hinduism and Muslim, right, that do not have as much uh, power affecting the state, and I praise God uh, for that. But in the ancient times, there was not this distinction between the two, okay? So, each trade guild uh, had patron gods to which members had to pay homage as well to the Roman emperor. If Christians did not participate in such homage, they were economically ostracized. Revelation puts it this way, those who do not take the mark do not buy or sell, right? Right? so economically ostracized, and prevent from participating in their trade. The whole of Revelation 17 represents these religious economic aspects of society, which often work in conjunction with the political state. So the Preterist puts this happening back in the time of the 4th century, and there was a certain extent that it did, so that is, that is true, right? Um, they couldn't participate, and so they were ostracized. The futurist puts this as something coming up. There there was so much speculation out there on this, and I just encourage you, don't engage in the speculation. Just know that God's going to take care of you, okay? Because they'll talk about microchips and and all this stuff, and that you won't be able to buy or sell unless you get chipped or have some kind of tattoo if you're from the 90s. That's what they were doing in the 90s, uh, in the movies, right? Um, So there is a time coming, I do believe, that, that you will have to participate in the world system, religious economic system, to uh, succeed, right? Now, I think we've been blessed with freedom here in America, and we can hold our values, and even they, to a, a bigger sense, they'll work for us, right, to be successful. So being successful in and of itself is not a problem, Right? The means to success is what the problem is, right? So we can be tempted, right, to join the world and make economic success more important than God, can't we? Sometimes we're tempted by that on a regular basis. And in so many ways, it starts little, doesn't it? Oh, you know... Maybe I'll cheat on my taxes this year. Or maybe I won't report that. Oh, I, that was all cash, right? Or, or maybe it's a little different, subtle. I, I don't need a Sabbath this week, right? I'm going to get ahead, right? Because Sabbath is really about an expression of trusting God with our resources, whether they be our energy. Or our money. So we do not want to be t- we are tempted we do not want to cave to that temptation and, and of our success. We must be careful not to drink from her cup, her cup of abominations and she's subtle. In verse 5, her name is written on her forehead, and it's depicting her allegiance with the beast and his nefarious schemes, his evil, extra evil schemes. If we have confessed Jesus as Lord, then his name is written on all foreheads, showing our allegiance with Yahweh. That name is written there, you're sealed, you're, you're, you're delivered to God. And it says in Revelation 24, they shall see his face and his name will be, well, on their foreheads, right? Where's your allegiance lie? Have you confessed Jesus as Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead so that your allegiance lies with him, She doesn't like our allegiance with Yahweh. The world does not like our allegiance to God, to Yahweh. In verse 6, she's drunk. She's mad drunk on persecuting the saints who bear witness to who? To Jesus. Each of us who confess Jesus as Lord carry with us Jesus into our communities. We bear witness of his work we build witness of him in our lives. We are living epistles. As witnesses of Jesus, it can feel overwhelming, can't it? And frightening in a culture that continues to grow more hostile. Right? And, and it's hard to know how to navigate that. Because most of us, I think, if we're truly honest, want to leave a simple, peaceful, quiet life. Right? We don't want to go out there and make waves. Right? And yet, the more we go out there and the more we engage culture with truth and with Christ's love, the more waves it seems that are made. And since sometimes we get belligerent and that's not good, and we're like, I'm just going to make all kinds of waves and I don't care about being nice anymore. Right? But we're not called to be mean. What are we called to do with our enemies? Love them. What else are we called to do? We're called to pray for them, right? And so oftentimes we need to forget, necessarily not forget, but we need to set aside the issue, right, and love the person. Every one of those people out there that disagree with us are created in the image of God, right, and so, not that we accept their actions, but we show them love in spite of them, right? And it can be done. And I know there's a lot of confusion because our culture says love is acceptance of what they do, and that's just a false. That's, that's a fad. That's not true. Love has never been acceptance of what one does, okay? Okay. So let's love them. Let's be that witness in our circles, in our homes, in our in our neighborhood, in our workplace, even as it grows more hostile. Yet we must remember, and as we're doing that, we need to remember that Jesus conquering it all, it's all conquered, it's all redeemed, right? That 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 one thing that you're struggling with, the, the mind games that you're playing with, that your mind plays on you, it's redeemed, right? The, the health issue that you're challenged with, it's redeemed. The, the cancer that you're fighting, it's redeemed. The illness that you're fighting, it's redeemed. He's using it, he's walking through the brokenness to bring about your good for eternity and his glory. And you can't stop it. He's doing it. He's declared it through the cross and and validated it through the resurrection. Wow! If that's not encouraging, I don't know what is. So let's remember. Let's remember. The Lamb conquers. The Lamb conquers. And we, we, we are called to trust Him in the journey. Sin will be taken care of. Trust him in the journey. I know you're wrestling with things right now. I am, and I know it's hard to trust, but I encourage you, I implore you, trust him in the journey. Remember, reflect, and be renewed in what he's done, what he's doing, and what he will do. Father God, we thank you for your grace that is all-sufficient, new every morning, available to us at any moment to come boldly by the blood of Christ, boldly before the throne of grace, to receive mercy and grace, to help in our time of need. And we come, we come in desperate need of you, and we pray that you would walk, and we thank you that you are walking, and we pray that you would give us a glimpse of the walk that we do that you're doing and mostly mostly we pray that you we would trust you in the journey trust you have conquered all conquering and will bring about full redemption we ask this in Jesus name amen